Father God, thank you that you have called uh, the three of us to be brothers and sisters together uh, in the Lord, uh, into your great uh, family that extends uh, throughout the nations. And Father, as we uh, talk about uh, this particular area of sin, not just in the world, but also in the church, I pray that you'd help us to be uh, clear, uh, to be uh, helpful, to uh, speak in a way that helps people see uh, where things have gone wrong, to see what they might need to repent of, uh, and also to see how they might do better in the future. We long uh, that the church we belong to now uh, would be a better uh, representation of the church as we know it will be mm. in our heavenly future. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, welcome back to the Church Society podcast. I'm Ros Clark. I'm the Associate Director of Church Society and I'm your host here on what have now become our slightly more occasional podcasts uh, rather than our regular weekly uh, schedule that we were uh, trying to stick to at one point. Because they're not quite so regular at this point, you really will want to be subscribed to the podcast so that you make sure you don't miss any episodes. If you're watching this on YouTube, obviously you can subscribe to the Church Society YouTube channel. And if you're listening uh, to the audio version of the podcast, do you remember to subscribe there as well? And when you're subscribing, why not uh, rate the podcast or leave a comment or uh, consider sharing it uh, with anyone else you know who might be interested in what we're talking about. Last year, you may remember, we had a podcast discussion in the aftermath of the murder of George Floyd, uh, when so many of us uh, were reconsidering racism, not just out there uh, far away in America, but in our own society and in the church uh, here in the UK as well. And we said at the time that that was really only the beginning of a longer conversation we needed to have. Uh, we had uh, some continuation of that conversation in our autumn edition of Crossway uh, magazine. And if you uh, didn't see that, you can still buy uh, back issues of that from the Church Society website, and I'll put a link below. But I'm really delighted to have uh, with me on the podcast today, two of the contributors to that edition of Crossway. Uh, we've got uh, Niv Lobo and Oyenlade Oladipo. I'm going to ask both of them just to introduce themselves. That's perfect. Luz is giving me a thumbs up because he had to uh, tell me how to make sure I pronounced his name uh, before we started. So I'm glad I got that right. Uh, so Oyen, why don't you begin and just uh, give us a little brief introduction, who you are, what you're doing in life, um, that sort of thing. Yeah, thanks. Um, my name is Oyen Lade Oladipo, um, but my friends call me Oyen. Uh, a bit of trivia here. Oyen means honey. Um, but you can't call me that unless you are <laughs> unless you are 80 year old and you go to my church. <laughs> I'm an ordinand, I'm a weekly call. Um, I'm a Christian, obviously. I'm an evangelical. Um, yes, yes. Great, that's perfect. Uh, and Niv. Great, I'm Niv. Uh, like Owen, I'm also an ordinand at Wycliffe Hall. I'm married to Lucy. We have a seven month old called Raffaella. Um, and my name means good news. And my last name means wolf. So, um, yeah, but you can't call me either of those either. There you go. It depends which book you look in. My name, uh, my full name is Rosalind. And in some books, they say it means something like beautiful as a rose, which sounds lovely. And in other books, they say it means horse serpent, 
which which I think is somewhat <laughs> less delightful. So who knows? Anyway, uh, we thought it would be a good time to uh, return to this conversation. You may have seen in the last couple of weeks the Church of England Evangelical Council, CEC, published a video of uh, a sort of panel conversation, roundtable conversation, between a number of participants uh, from different ethnic backgrounds with different experiences, again, talking in more detail about this question. It's a, a half an hour or so video. You can find it on their website and I'll put a link below. And also there's a couple of shorter clips of some of the participants talking about their stories and experiences. And I really want to commend that to you. One of the things about the CEC video, it's called One, is that it is intended to help churches and Christians have better conversations about the issues of racism, ethnicity and justice. And I guess where I want to start was, why do we need to have those conversations in churches at all? Why aren't we just getting on with the business of preaching the gospel, for example? I don't know, Niv, do you want to start us off on that? I, I do think it's an important question. And I think there have been times in my life where perhaps I would have asked it as well um, and thought that were all we to do uh, was just preach the gospel, surely we just cover these things yeah. anyway. So, so why go out of our way to ask the question like this? Two, two responses before Oyen says something wiser and better. Firstly, I suppose that Jesus is invested in these questions too. Part of the logic of the gospel is that um, God has stepped into human existence in the middle of a particular cultural story, that of Israel, and in so doing has fulfilled Israel's hopes so that everyone from every nation, every tribe, every tongue, every language, uh, to quote a passage I'm sure we're going to talk about later, is offered life from God in him. And therefore, not to talk about these things, not to think about areas in which prejudice and uh, bigotry and, all, all, and ignorance and all sorts of other things keep us from um, addressing what Jesus cares about is a problem. And if we are Jesus' church, we have to be invested in, in questions like that. Secondly, though, and this is slightly, uh, I guess, a less flattering answer, is that the people who've talked about just preaching the gospel um, have not always recognised that as, as sinners, uh, even saved sinners, we have vested interests in setting the agenda of our conversations. And in the past, uh, Bible-believing Christians of real theological soundness have gone terribly wrong on issues of racism and justice. And their decision to just preach the gospel has actually turned out to be a way of refusing accountability and even prolonging racist uh, patterns of, of action and behaviour in the lives of their congregations and, and in their own lives. So that would yeah. be the problem. Very interesting, Niv. I think, I mean, on your first point, it's very interesting, isn't it? Jesus doesn't just come into any old particular cultural moment. He comes mm. into a cultural moment that actually the Lord has clearly invested thousands of years in setting mm. up to be particularly racially charged. You know, mm. I mean, the whole of the Old Testament history in one sense is setting up a racial conflict or at least a racial divide between Jews and Gentiles. And, and so then when Jesus comes in, it's not accidental that it's a time and place where issues of race are really significant. Well, and what else uh, might you add to it, to what Niva said there? Other reasons why it's important for churches to explicitly talk about these questions? Um, I think it's because these issues matter to everyday people. Mm -hmm. um, to the person, to a to, to the Christian or to the non-Christian, 
suffering racial injustice. These issues matter because he's, he or she has got questions that needs answering because he or she needs a savior figure to come and help them because prejudice, the effect of prejudice is real. And of course, we know that Jesus has come and, you know, he's, he's set us free. He's established structures. And if the church follows scriptures the way we ought to, then we wouldn't, we wouldn't be having problems of race. But the point like Neve made is we've not followed scriptures. So the problem still remains. And we need to address this and keep addressing it until the problem is no longer there, which we know is when Jesus comes. So which means that the church needs to keep addressing this in each generation as long as there is yeah. there are these issues yeah. And I think that relates back to what Niv said as well. Actually, it's a very privileged position mm. to not be dealing with questions of racial prejudice and discrimination in your mm. everyday life mm. and therefore not to think, oh, that's something my congregation need teaching and pastoring about. Mm. And if you're the people in charge of setting the agenda for the church, mm -hmm. actually that that is just a display of your own cultural narrowness and naivety and privilege if those yeah, issues yeah, yeah. aren't on the agenda yeah you're right now in 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 your church for example or in in a certain church this might not be an issue but the, the point is it is an issue in society it is an issue in the wider church of england and then the question is how can i even though my church is semi-perfect but how can i then what part can I play in the broader church to ensure that yeah. the broader church is more ethnically inclusive, the broader mm. church is concerned about issues of justice? Mm. Yeah. Mm. I was very shocked. I don't suppose either of you will be shocked at all, but I was very shocked by some of the responses I got to the Crossway edition that you both contributed to. People expressing real anger I wasn't sure actually whether it was directed at me or the Archbishop of Canterbury at the idea that the Church of England might itself be racist. And it just, yeah, was part of that um, sense of people who've not personally been on the, the sort of receiving end of that, completely failing to understand how mm. actions by individuals, but also by systems, put together by people who've never had to think about it for themselves yeah will inadvertently be discriminatory mm. and prejudice we'll come back to that i think again later on in our conversation but i guess a question then is we do need to talk about it we need to talk about it in our preaching but also uh in our pastoring of individuals and and how we set the tone in our churches why is it so difficult to do that why is it that conversations on these kind of questions so often just blow open to to rouse where people aren't listening to each other and also even if they don't quite do that it often seems like they don't actually accomplish anything they don't make things mm. better why why is it such a hard question do you think i i think it depends on who, who you ask um i am an african who's been in this country for a long time um if I'm a, a priest, why wouldn't I preach on these issues? The answer is quite simple because it will boomerang back at me. But then I'm sure a white person who's also a priest or a leader in church or even a church, a church person will have a different answer. But I think I've been able to come up with two or three reasons. Number one is guilt. 
So if, for example, in, in, if in my race, for example, if there's been a history of, of, of us being at the, at the wrong end of history on this issue, when people talk about it, I am going to, I might feel guilty. And then when you feel guilty, it, there's a tendency to become defensive. That's number two. Yeah. So there is that guilt and then there is that defensiveness. But the point is, if there are issues on the ground, they've got to be resolved, just like in any relationship. See, when, when you air issues, it's not always easy to do so. But at the end of the day, when things are tackled the right way, we air the issue, we resolve the issue, and we proceed on to other things, to better things, having resolved that one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I agree. And I think your point about defensiveness is is such an important thing and i wonder if we're particularly ill-equipped to deal with that in our western society that is so individualistic so you know as as white british people clearly there is a lot in our history to look back on and feel ashamed of but it's also hard isn't it because i look back and think but i didn't do those things mm. ah. and <laughs> and, and it's complicated and I I don't quite know how you deal with that there's a sense in which I, I don't feel like I can repent of things which happened hundreds of years ago but I do feel feel a sense of guilt around them but then mm. I want to be defensive and say but I I don't think it was me and and I don't really know how to deal with all of those I don't know whether either of you have thoughts that um be, be, mm. if, be, before Neve comes in if, if if I might just yeah. say something now I hear what you said and I've had the conversation with with, with some of my friends yeah. here is how I look at it so say I'm English and in my history there's been a lot of things like you know slavery racism and and things and that was my great great granddad that that, that isn't me now. But then you then come to, for example, black people who are descendants of these slaves. The question to ask is what my great granddad did to his great granddad, does he still have an impact on him today? Yeah. And the answer most of the time is yes. Yes. Sadly so, I don't want it to be yes, but sadly so, it is yes. So then what should I as an English person do? Of course, saying sorry is not enough, but then I've got to go beyond saying sorry to say, okay, do you know what? Okay, hands up. Um, I'm still, I'm, I'm still benefiting from the wealth that my great-granddad yeah. made from enslaving your great-granddad. I can't undo that, but I can be nicer to you. I can listen yeah. to you. I can say, how can I help now? So it's... It, that's yeah, really yeah. helpful. I think that's really helpful. That, that sort of shadow of the history is there. And what it needs to do is impact how we view the situation today and how we relate to people today and, and the the actions for which I am responsible today. Mm. Niv, what were you going to add into that? I, I, I think that one of the things that, and again, this isn't news to either of you, but I suppose one of the things that I find really challenging is the way that Daniel or, Neb, or, or Nehemiah can pray penitent prayers for the wrongdoing of their people, mm. which was not one they did. I mean, both Nehemiah and Daniel seem conspicuously godly uh, in, in, in what we know of them. And yet both of them are, are, are owning they're belonging to a nation that has gone wrong. And I think that's a really fertile place uh, for us to think about these things because confession is not the same as flagellation. And it's not a, 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 a disowning everything. It's an owning of, of my, my past, the, the, the culture I'm from, and being able to, to bear these things before the Lord. And part of that will mean you're not apologizing things you yourself didn't do. And what a glorious thing that the sins of the father aren't visited on, on those of the children. And, you know, Ezekiel gives us that. Yeah. But 
But there is also a sense in which that is a story I'm part of. And I think there's so, so basically to answer your question was, there's so much complexity here. One of the things I found is very well-meaning people uh, trying to address these things with me and doing so in a fairly ham-fisted way, uh, in a way that frankly makes no sense of my heritage and the Christian belief that has been in my family for generations. Uh, a couple I'm of weeks ago. Oh. Yeah, go on. No, tell me your example. I was going to say a couple of weeks ago, we had someone speaking about um, t taking off the trousers so they could put on the dhoti, uh, which is a sort of Indian un uh, undergarment, to then speak the gospel. And there was this really sort of high-handed approach to that, which almost made it sound like there hadn't been Christians in India, like there hadn't been centuries of vibrant faith in India that no white person had to come and give us. Now, I think that's that's one of those things where obviously I have a, a bit of a hair trigger for that. I think about the yeah. faith of my mother and, and her family, and I think about what a beautiful thing it was that God gave them that faith. So there are lots of complexities. Yeah. Um, part of the issue is for someone like me to bring up this question will feel self-serving. Uh, and for me personally, I'm so sensitive to any suggestion that the only reason I have achieved anything is to do with, I don't know, some kind of affirmative action that I'm making up the numbers somehow. And for me, that's basically meant lifelong insecurity. I have to be the best I can be. I have to show that in some kind of neutral territory, I have excelled because otherwise I'm, um, yeah. I, I, I'm just, I'm just, I don't know, token. Um, yes, and that's one of the reasons why I find it really hard being on this podcast. In fact, this Sunday I'm preaching a sermon on some of these things. I, I really struggled with, with, with saying yes to that. Because the truth is, if people start saying, oh, this is Niv, he's obsessed with race, he's sort of one trick pony, that's all he ever talks about. Um, and yet what I want to say to so those I people is... So I think what you're saying is you want yeah. to come back and be a regular on the podcast about a whole lot of other issues. <laughs> I've got all sorts of issues. But, but you know, there's I, a sense um, in which, yeah, you know, I, I want to say to people, the gospel is so gloriously big. For the person who says, just preach the gospel, as if that meant, therefore, don't talk about racial reconciliation, don't talk about uh, gender, don't talk about culture, don't... What on earth do they mean the by gospel is. what is this lowest common denominator message which seems yeah. to have nothing to do with the real world jesus came to inhabit and to redeem that's the thing so really that's the so gospel... valuable yeah really helpful i think I, that adds a really helpful thing to the sort of list uh, that we were making people's defensiveness their guilt but their fear i think is is really significant as well the people who recognize that there is a real problem they, they maybe do feel guilty and defensive about it, but all, are also terrified of, of getting it wrong, of, of doing it in a way that causes more harm. Um, and, you know, I think partly we just have to, you know, pull our socks up and say, do you know what, I'm going to do it anyway. And if I get it wrong, I'll get it wrong, but I've yeah. tried and I'll learn and I'll listen to the people who've told me why I've got this wrong and I will do better next time. But I think that I think that's better than not even trying. Um, and yeah, we you know we we do we all have to start somewhere. And I look back at things that I've said and done in the past, and and sort of I'm horrified at that. But I hope that I have learned and I'm doing better as I go forward. And I I have one friend who talks about I think really helpful language. People don't want to be called a racist. Nobody wants to be called a racist. But what she says is actually. I had to own the fact that I am a recovering racist, that we have all sort of learned from our society and, you know, ways of doing things and ways of being, ways of responding to people that have to be unlearned. And maybe it takes a lifetime to unlearn some of that and be brave enough to, to do that. Um, let's move mm. on a little bit. We've, uh, we've talked a bit about um, 
repentance and I, I think that is a really important thing um, and I liked uh, Niv what you mentioned about Daniel and uh, Nehemiah both being willing Nehemiah. to repent sort of on, on the on behalf of the people that they stand for and I wonder whether you both think there's something that needs to happen there with respect to the church or individual churches or the Church of England as a whole with respect to repentance and and what sort of form that might take so it might be really practical things like repenting of having made investments in slave trading companies you know i mean i definitely think that's the thing we should be owning saying the church should never have done that and it was wrong but i i um, wonder if there are things in a sort of more everyday basis that you think yeah churches ought to be doing that um yeah neve neve please oh no i was i was going to say I, th I think this is this is a really this is basically the stuff of the gospel. When Martin Luther says that the whole Christian life is repentance, he's not being negative or pessimistic. He's saying this is what it is to walk with Jesus. It's this constant reminder that we always need that sin is this enemy we need rescuing from, not something we were able to, uh, I don't know, get rid of ourselves, deal with ourselves. Um, I always think of Isaiah and the first sort of six chapters and those, those early chapters where woe to the people of Israel, woe to those who do this, woe to those who are adding feed to feel, calling good evil. And then what's amazing is chapter six. Isaiah is given this encounter with, yeah, absolutely, with, with the Lord. And he says, woe to me. I'm a people of, I'm, I'm a man of unclean lips among a people of unclean lips. And I think that's the journey we need to be on, this ability to, to see those two things, to see that whatever... I'm able to spot in our history, in our tradition as wrong. I'm not immune from it. Yeah. Um, and there are all sorts of ways I'm trying to figure that out. I, you know, when I was an undergrad, I, I, um, if you'd said the word Puritan around us at this church, our first response would have been, the Puritans are not as bad as you think. And we'd have like, listed all their amazing theological <laughs> achievements. And also they're quite fun. John Owen put lots of powder in his hair. Guys, the Puritans were great. And the issue is what we weren't doing was facing up to the fact that a, a lot of the Puritans in New England and, and in the 18th century were vigorous and enthusiastic slave owners. And at no point did that even occur to us as something we needed to think about. Why? Well, because we just had this great blind spot and we, we wanted to have the best version of the Puritans we could, the J.I. Packer version, not the one that enslaved a ton of people um, and, and owned people for, for generations. And I, I think one of the things I've had to realise is I, I didn't do that, but I, I've actually had to repent of the fact that for so long, I've not looked at these theological heroes of mine rightly. I've sugarcoated the things they did. I've, I've whitewashed the, the, the good. I've not been prepared to look at the bad. Mm -hmm. um, and, and if you ask me, our culture has an issue with kind of not being able to face the bad in our heroes, but extends to contemporary leaders today. Yeah, um, yeah. So well, that's true. Um, leading into, yes, I remember teaching a, a church history course at my church a few years ago. And um, when we got to Martin Luther, and obviously there's a lot of amazing things to say about Martin Luther and his gospel and the Reformation, all those things. But I did talk about his anti-Semitism because it, it was pretty horrific and it seemed to get worse during his life, not better. And obviously one of the really horrific things is that hundreds of years later, Hitler is using some of what Luther yep. says to justify what happened um, in 20th century Germany. And I, mm -hmm. I just think you can't ignore that. And I think it's a really helpful reminder to all of us that just as we are all sinners, so were they all sinners. Mm. But it really was disturbing to quite a number of people in church and they, they were really concerned about it and couldn't understand it and I think recognizing that there are those blind spots in all of us 
Um, and often those blind spots are around the same kind of sins that, that wider society has and therefore will quite often be to do with racial issues. Mm. It's so important, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yes. Um, when, um, a lot of this discussion has been prompted over the last year or so because of stuff that happened in America and the murder of George Floyd in particular. But obviously racism is a problem here in the UK um, as much as as anywhere. Um, I, I just want to, I mean, I don't want you to feel like you've got to, to sort of bear your soul, but I just think it'd be really helpful to pe for people to have some understanding of examples you've seen or ways that you see racism built into our, our culture or our church um, since you've been here. Um, okay, L let me start by saying that whatever I say is minute compared to the experiences of other black people. Sure. And I'm going to be specific here, especially compared to the experiences of um, black people of West Indian origin. Okay. I mean, I've, I've heard them say things and I'm like, whoa, I'm so grateful to God. I grew up in Nigeria and wow. not in the UK. So I, I must give that caveat. How have I experienced racism in the church? There is this sense of otherness that I, I have noticed in the church. Um, you go into your regular Church of England church, and there is this, I think the, the phrase is microaggression. The way people look at you, it's like, what are you doing here kind of thing, and, and you notice that. Um, that is to be expected. But then for me, when I look at the leadership of the Church of England over the years, and I think Archbishop um, Welby was right and is still right in this. There is, there is a form of institutional racism in that the structures are not built to accommodate people of other races mm -hmm. and of, of, of other ethnicities. I know it is changing now, but then I think I'll still say that the change is still too slow. Mm -hmm. So let me give an example. Yeah. When the church agreed to ordain women as bishops, in the first two years or so, we saw how many women became bishops. This is 2021, and as at the time that we're recording this, we only have how many um, minority ethnic bishops? Maybe three or four? Nave? Um, I mean, uh, yeah, um, Bishop Perumbelas, Bishop Caraway, Bishop Guli, and... Rosemary. Rosemary? Hudson Wilkin, Bishop. Oh, yes, Rose Thank Hudson you. Wilkin in, in Dover. Yeah. I think it's a shame that we can count them on the fingers of one hand. <laughs> one hand. Now, yeah. that is one. How have I experienced racism? Now, when I talk, I tend to use my hands a lot. Because where I come from, if, if you've been to Africa, Africans are not known to talk with our hands down. We, we gesticulate. That is who we are. It's like, it's like, you know, going to Arabia. People, that's the way people are. If you listen to the audio like version, that. I want to tell you that Oyen is demonstrating <laughs> this very thoroughly for us at the moment with his hands. Carry on. Now, there was a time in church, and this has been resolved, so I can talk about it. I was preaching and using my hands and things. And at the end of the service, I was called by someone to say, you know, you're a big, big black man and people feel intimidated by you. 
after I was told that, I, I, I said thank you. But then I think I told the church wardens, please take me off the preaching rota for the foreseeable future. Because what's happened is you've just, I've just felt attacked because of who I am. Mm. Okay, Oyin, when you preach, can you not use your hands? That's okay. But you have to bring my race into it. Mm. So the problem is not in the way I use my hands. The problem is in my race. Would you say this to me? And then I've had white preachers, white vicars come to church and then they talk with their hands. And I'm like, but you told me off for this same thing. Yeah. Outside the church, I've, I've experienced walking down the streets of East London and there were about three teenagers, three white teenagers. I just, I walked past them, didn't say anything. And they spat on me and they were like, go home, um, illegal immigrant. I understand teenagers can be funny. I, I, I mean, I was a teacher. I know teenagers can be funny. But the point that yeah. you could spit on a black person and mm. not feel shame and think there is nothing he can do, the point that you can call a black person illegal immigrant, would you, if, if I was, say, Romanian, you know, I'm white, I've not opened my mouth, so you don't, you, you, you've not heard my accent, would you say to me, go home, illegal immigrant? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, mm. really helpful. And I mean, you said at the beginning, the term is microaggressions, and, and some of those feel like they might be a bit more than micro. But even those very tiny things, like you say, the way people look at you, um, you know, the way, yeah, people don't, we were talking before the podcast, don't make the effort to learn how to pronounce your name properly, uh. or, or if you tell them, they still don't listen, and all of those things, they don't become micro when they're repeated again and again and again. Mm. Um, and my guess is that those examples that you've given us were not one-off incidents, but mm -mm. taken from a, a whole long experience of, of those in different sorts of ways. Mm. It's, I think it's just really helpful to, to pin that down in some concrete examples because there are people out there who are, who are still struggling to see you know, who who think, well, I'm not racist, my church is not racist, and yet are not seeing how they are treating people differently um, in those sorts of ways on their basis of race. So thank you um, I, for sharing I, if, those. If, if I may say this, sorry, I did have an experience which to me wasn't racist, but I've heard other black people say it is racist. I was in church and senior elderly ladies, very lovely ladies, one of them reached out to me and said, can I feel your hair, please, the texture of your hair? I thought it was fun. Mm. But I've had people say to me, no, that is racist. Nobody should do that to you. So I think, again, it's in people being careful what yeah. we do. Yeah. yeah. I think yeah. that's exactly right. And, you know, the, it, that's the kind of thing, isn't it, where actually context is everything. And depending on mm. the kind of friendship you have with those people or the the sort of setting that it's in and you know everybody's talking about hair or whatever it might I'm sure you don't often have conversations where you'll sit around and talk about <laughs> hair but you can see how it would be a quite different thing but when it's someone you barely know thinking can I just come and touch you it's a bit like when a woman's pregnant and and people think it's fine just to reach out and start stroking her stomach and and it, it's kind of not your, your hair is not public property because mm. you happen to be black Mm. Um, when we published the, the issue of Crossway, several of the uh, contributors to that pointed to the vision that we get in Revelation 7 of the, the great multitude with uh, people from every nation and tribe and people and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And that is 
the heavenly church, the eternal church that we are going to be part of in the new heavens and the new earth. That is what we are heading towards. And I just, I guess what I'd like to ask is, how can we do better at representing that future reality in our hmm. imperfect churches today? What, what would you like to see change and grow and develop to make our churches more like the true church? Mm. If I can kick us off, I think for me, one of the big things that I, I've been challenged from uh, that passage over and over is that the aspiration of colorblindness is sub-biblical. So a, a lot of people, and I think they're kind of preying on a line in that famous I have a dream speech about people being judged by the content of their character, not by the color of the skin, um, almost think that the standard would be to have equality before the law and then total colorblindness. So you don't even see color you don't notice it because you're just so equal and liberated and it's all just great and the problem with that well there are many problems with that that we could talk about but the biggest problem with that for us as christians is that god isn't colorblind christ mm. isn't colorblind he hasn't saved uh, a sort of beige mass of people he's saved gloriously diverse people and it is to his glory that we are so different and that's part of the the hope that revelation 7 is giving us when it talks about you know every tribe and tongue and and, and, and nation there's this sense of how glorious christ's achievement is that he's gathered all these people together so glorious ephesians 3 tells us that it makes the heavenly realms sing with praise uh, to see what god has done and so for me that's that's one thing that we can all start with don't be colorblind yeah. don't have as your aspiration a sense of of sort of negating difference and diversity don't see that as the important thing some people at this point will say yes but doesn't paul say there's no jew nor greek male nor female slave or free but the point with that is well we're great when it comes to male and female because all of us recognize that after christ there is still male and female i don't know yeah. any of the people touting the colorblind line who then tell me that they're also real trans activists who don't believe male and female is a thing once people are in christ those, and, those and, two and, views don't go together we don't and become non-binary in christ do yeah. we yeah, yeah I, exactly I, amen yeah. i think we've taken paul in that place out of context yeah, too much paul was talking about a specific issue so can people just keep there is neither male nor female jew or gentile to the issue that paul was talking about I think you've caused so much damage in the body of Christ yeah. to that scripture. Sorry, I agree. Go on. No, I yes. agree. And and, if, I wonder then if the sort of corollary to what you're saying of, of you know, don't, don't look at the sort of beige mixes if we'd all been a blender together. Is it that what we should actually be doing is celebrating our differences, including celebrating people's ethnic origins, people's... Um, mm different uh backgrounds people different places people have lived um hundred yeah, percent sort of and family traditions all of it you know because you know some people will be black people who lived in england and their family have lived in england for many generations be very different from somebody like oyan who who's uh moved here from nigeria himself very different mm. from people who come from afro-caribbean backgrounds mm. people from an indian background and so on but all of those people then are bringing something mm. different and precious into yeah. the church. Is that the point? hundred percent. And I, I remember being challenged by someone who said, okay, if I'm not meant to be colorblind, what do I do? Do I yeah. go around asking people where they're from? Because apparently that's a microaggression. And I get that this is a challenging conversation and I don't want people to be put in a blind. Here's, here's the thing I wish someone had said to me. And I went to a really wonderful, big conservative evangelical student church where pretty much every area of my personal life was brought to the gospel, my sexuality, my finances, my academic performance. But this never was. What a strange yeah. thing, right? I, I just wish someone had said, what, 
difference does it make to belong to Jesus, given your family history, given your ethnic background? How is that something God is bringing in to the new live that he's, he's forming in Jesus by his spirit? That's the question. What is there to celebrate here? And I think what's glorious is, you know, at the end of Revelation, we have this thing about how the treasures of the nations are brought in. The kings of the earth come in. There's beauty in all these different places. But and unless we forget, we on this island we're part of the farthest shores that rejoice in the Old Testament. We're not the center of gravity where it all started. And we have no monopoly on these things. So I think, yeah, absolutely. What we're, but the flip side of not being colorblind is the glorious celebration of the, the beauty of the unity of Christ's bride. Yeah. All these different tribes, tongues and nations. Right. That's a glorious thing. And it's going to be amazing to actually be there as we all will one day in Christ. But now we celebrate it eschatologically we, we celebrate it in hope that Brilliant. glorious future is going to happen it's been achieved in christ and, and therefore it should be a feature of our church life together i remember being in sermons with galatians uh, or ephesians passages like that and people in bible studies or even preachers to the front being like well it's tricky to know how to apply this today because no one's trying to get circumcised but it's not tricky at all if you just look at the, the ethnic diversity in your congregation it's not tricky at all to see these glorious letters have been given to the church by god so that people from such different backgrounds can learn how the gospel unites us and not in a way that annihilates difference but that releases it it's an amazing thing that we have that's beautiful that's beautiful well and do you have anything else that you'd like to say about how churches can be uh being a better representation of that that glorious picture i think neve has said it all but if i might just add yeah, um, this uh, uh, now we have that picture in the bible the question is how is my church meeting yeah. up to this vision so what can I, what can we do as a church? I think number one is, does our leader, number one, does the attitude in leadership reflect this? As the priest, as the church leader, as the, you know, whatever my title is, do, do I think that this should be replicated in my church? Do I think this is the standard? Number one. Number two, am I then going out of my way to ensure that in leadership, we have a mix of people? we're not just having Asians or black people there as, as the token Asian, the token black people, but am I actually extending my search for good leadership material for my user language to people of other races? Do I think that people of other races have got what it takes? Or do I think that, oh, it's only people of my race who can be this? That's two, then three. What am I preaching to my congregation? Let me give you an example. Now, I did an essay on that on that um, scripture passage a while ago, and I used two two commentaries. One was written by someone I respect so much. He's probably listening to this now, an English theologian okay. who specializes in in Revelation. The other was written by an African American theologian. Do you know that they had two different perspectives? On that passage, the Englishman just brushed it aside, didn't, didn't go deep into the, the intricacies of the racial myths in that place. But the African-American, because he's conscious of him being a black person in white America, actually zoomed in on that passage and brought out the fact that, listen, these are people from everywhere. So I think as, as, as church leaders, what we should do is to... to, to to zoom in into that passage and say, how does my church reflect this? If I, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I just, that's so helpful, isn't it? You can look at what's going on in your church with your church 
minister and then your sort of leadership team. But I really like that point of who are we also listening to in the books we read, uh, maybe in the podcasts we listen to, in the sermons we listen to. And actually we need not just a diverse diversity of people in our congregations and in our leadership, but also uh, doing theology um, and speaking to the church in that sort of way. We need to finish now, but I just want to say thank you both so much for for your insights on that. It's been so helpful to hear um, both your thoughts on that, but also thank you for sharing some of your personal experiences as well. I really appreciate that. Um, thank you so much to everyone uh, for listening to podcasts, watching on to podcasts. Like I say, you will want to be subscribed to uh, catch every episode of our somewhat irregularly scheduled podcast at the moment. And I also just want to let you know, if you're listening to this or watching this uh, in the week that it comes out, we have a new book out from Church Society this week. It's called The Blessed Life. It has a wonderfully diverse uh, list of 32 contributors, I think from... I want to say every continent except Antarctica, pretty much. Um, we certainly have people from South America, from Africa, from Asia, um, all over the place, uh, looking at uh, the Beatitudes, uh, the fruits of the spirit, the uh, seven deadly sins and Jesus' final words from the cross. So if you're someone thinking, I need to listen to more diverse voices, maybe that's a great place to start. All the details will be on the Church Society website. Thank you so much. And do tune in again. Thank you to Niv and to Oyen.